Welcome beautiful people, welcome back and if you're new, just welcome. This is the Body Mind Practice podcast with your host Chris. I wanted to start this amazing episode with a bit of an update about things in my life. So, you know the Three Peaks Challenge. You know that the Three Peaks Challenge is to get up and down the three highest peaks in the UK in 24 hours. Well, instead of doing that, a man called Tony Riddle, who I'm sure you've heard of, because you've heard of me, and if you haven't, do check him out. He goes by the name of The Natural Lifestylist on Instagram. And to be truthful, he is one person that has probably influenced. That word does get thrown around a lot, obviously, due to the label that people with a lot of followers get on Instagram. But in the true nature of the word, he has influenced my life. So credit where credit's due. He is amazing, well-rounded, knowledgeable communicator. <laughs> uh, and the things he's he's talked about on many, many podcasts, Rich Rolls, Rangan Chatterjee's We Move, to name just a few. And he's also got one of his own, um, where he inter- interviews Sustainable. Anyway, we'll get into that. So this guy, if I've painted a picture of him, um, you know, go 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 online, see what he's all about. But this this <laughs> this challenge. So this guy's taking on this challenge, the three peaks challenge, but he's doing it barefoot. Every mountain barefoot. And he's doing it all in nine days. The roads, he'll be running in Vivo Barefoots, who are sponsoring the event. And it is all to raise to raise awareness for the massive potential that we all have within this amazing human that we all inhabit and the feats that it can go to and endure. So he's using this as a as a beautiful representation of that human potential. So he's going to be running 485 miles in nine days. That's equivalent to 54 miles a day so two marathons a day roughly and yeah he's doing it as of just before september so he's calling it the free bear peaks and he's raising awareness also to a very and one of the fundamental reasons for doing this is is to give a platform to this amazing charity which is called survival international and why is that you ask Well, Survival International are all about protecting indigenous people and communities around the world. And a little fact for you, indigenous people comprise of less than 5% of the world's overall population, yet they protect over 80% of the global biodiversity. And what does that mean? Well, in a planet that we all live in, in the last 50 years, has seen the extinction of more than half of the world's population of species i think ecosystems and things like that play an enormous role in protecting the planet 
actually protecting the planet. I think the planet's going to be fine. It's quite an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because you see banners and you pe- people, you know, oh, save the planet. Well, George Carlin said it best. The planet's going to be fine. It's been through a lot of crazy times in the last however million, hundred million years that it's been here. So the planet's going to be fine. The people, the species, the us, there is no them, there is only us, are going to struggle, are going to face obstacles. So back to the Survival International. Yes, uh, we're facing an existential threat. It's time to move beyond simple raising awareness for the environment and become the change. The industrialization of humanity has seen global wildlife population drop by 60% since 1970. That was the fact. Yeah, more than half. And that's that's half an adult's lifespan, if you didn't know how old adults live for. But just to put it into context, like, think about that. But what about natural humans or indigenous people of the world? Yes, they, they do play an incredible part. And Survival International are all about that. So he's raising lots of lots of much-needed funds uh, for this charity. So there you go. Um, and I'm going to be a part of this event, which is even, I was going to say even more incredible. It's definitely not more incredible. It's uh, slightly less incredible, but I'm going to be a part of this event and uh, spending some time with, probably not with Tony, he'll be doing his thing, but with uh, his family and 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 his entourage. So, so that kicks off next week. So, that's where I'll be. So, stay tuned to my Instagram. Um, obviously, Antonis. He's going to be prolifically uh, commentating on the ins and outs and ups and downs and arounds of this whole event. So, head over to him. But I will no doubt be updating the people of my world to uh his his event so it's going to be great now over to the podcast now i have to say this is probably one of my favorite podcasts to date i absolutely love talking to doug doug robson what a guy so we just talked very presently very in the moment started with conversations about yoga and his world as a yoga teacher and also as a stunt man do they call stunt women stunt women i didn't ask him that but maybe i hope so you know or was it one of those actor actresses everyone's an actor kind of vibe very different i mean the word man is man scratch that right Stunt man and yogi. He was born in South Africa in Botswana. And, you know, I did know where that place was because I'd met another person before from there. Quite interestingly, little fact for you, Botswana translates to land of the swana, which is interesting. And the swana people, I love that. love that tribe's kind of terminology. Say it as it is, you know. And then he moved to America, came to the UK. He actually was on another couple of podcasts saying about his backstory. We don't really get into it. Didn't really feel the need because, you know, if you want to find out more about him, then it's already up there. So we talked about his relationship with teaching yoga online. And Doug is, he's very articulate. He's on an amazing path. Like how old is he? I think he's like 37. 
but he's got the heart and the soul of just a student at school he wants to learn everything i just feel i just get that energy from him like every day is a new experience to to learn something new uh, and he's been on a big journey to kind of arrive at that mindset i believe uh, and we certainly get into as you'll find out some of the reasons why and i think he he's more importantly more more interesting than anything else he's got the best relationship between his light and his dark side and learning to how to kind of have a relationship with his ego even though we don't necessarily talk about his ego but i've, I've been learning a lot as i've been listening to ryan holiday the enemy is the ego i actually started a audio book club which is really a great thing to do start one with your friends and we're all listening to the same audio book and then we're going to reconvene uh, at the end of the month and chat about the audiobook so yeah ryan holiday enemy is ego phenomenal book i absolutely loved it and yeah so so back to back to doug we we go into the balance of his feminine and masculine energy uh, and it really uncovers some from beautiful things and you really i think you really get to know doug like he wears his heart on his sleeve and he's he's very open and gentle uh, he's just got a gentle nature he really has uh, I'm a great judge of character. I must be because I scrolled on his Instagram like back in April and I was just like, this guy, there's something about him, you know? I mean, you just get that feeling around someone. Obviously, obviously your mind goes to a ooh, interesting kind of place when, it, you know, you read Stuntman and Yogi, um, which probably puts him on the map in, in a lot of people's eyes. So anyway, we talk about overcoming his injuries, acceptance uh, and presence through yoga, competition and then we talk lots of bit bits about politics bits about kind of the age in which we live in technology but it is just a great conversation it's bang on an hour so just enjoy it sit back relax or don't do the opposite and listen all right thanks very much for tuning in really appreciate and i'm here if you agree or don't agree with anything as a as someone that's just on the path to learning and understanding and navigating through this art form yeah if you have any any insights into things that have worked for you or you want to give me any feedback on the podcast or or critique it like i'm here i'm open just just give me a shout and um just hit me up a message for body mind practice in in instagram yeah all right thanks and it is on youtube if you do just want to head over to there and check it out on the video uh awesome thanks take it easy bye I'm in Dublin, um, wow. so I'm here for the next nine weeks, and um, yeah, so we're in this hotel, I think, for another week, and then we're moving to another hotel with the actors, so we keep it all in-house, because we'll be working with them, so they want to put us into a bubble, so we only uh, interact with the same people. Oh, know? nice. So what, what mm -hmm. movie or, or thing are you working on? I can't on? say what movie. Ooh, uh, mysterious. <laughs> yeah, that's the deal. <laughs> that's the deal like i mean 
it really came into play a few years ago where probably about when I first started like 10 years ago where they were like guys you can't talk about the movie and then it's so funny now with Instagram and and social media a lot of movies do their own social media and you're like hang on I can't tell my mom what I'm working on but you're putting a post on the rocks like live streaming the scene we're doing you know like I, I you know it's a bit weird um but you know you gotta you gotta stick to the rules just like quarantining here in uh dublin same thing yeah sure, you've got, you've sure. Got to well, it's, willing. it's good that things are moving in that direction though and, and work's getting back to to how it was right absolutely like it's so good mm-hmm. um just to get back like when i got the call for work i was like this is so so good um just to be back you know and um yeah it was a relief if anything else yeah nice uh, but this you're so in I your element my brain i was enjoying it you're in your element, aren't you? Well, at the moment I am. At the moment I am because I'm getting to teach yoga because we're in quarantine. I'm getting to teach yoga uh, online and I do two sessions with the boys here. So one, a harder one, and then one for like a stretch out when they come back from their run. So I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to get paid while teaching yoga and hanging out with my stunt buddies. I'm like, yeah, this could yeah, work. Nice. Did, did lockdown kind of provide that, that kind of container to uh, do a lot more online? Absolutely. Like I, it's for, for most people are kind of detracted from their teaching, I guess I could never teach at a studio that much because of my schedule. So this became a, this became my, my chance, my impetus to go like, right, let's teach a lot more. Like now you don't have the excuse of not having a studio you can rely on. You have your studio, it's your front room and you've got all the time in the world. So there's no distraction, you know, so I, I really embraced it. That's why I taught, you know, six out of the seven days for those 16 weeks. So I really jumped in and I was like, right. Uh, if I want to get better at the craft of teaching, I need to teach more. So that's what I did. Cause that's where kind of, in terms of other teachers that have been around as long as I have, they've got a lot more hours under their belt because of that. Like they, they do it full time, you know, mm-hmm. whereas I've always done, I did kind of a bit here, but there, then I'd do events and workshops but i didn't have like that that everyday thing which is what i i think you need in any any art form any skill you're trying to learn you need to be doing a day in day out you know? yeah i think there's a fancy quote i could say now but basically do more of what you want to do and you'll get better at it right <laughs> yeah that's it i mean gary flair had a great one which is that uh, you got a hole in one people said you're so lucky and you're like it's the darndest thing the more i practice the luckier i get nice and that, that kind of is w- what it is you know you get better at the thing you find the nuances uh, you find the little details and uh, i certainly felt the difference between having done my teacher training and knowing what words to say when you do it rote and the difference between when you have a daily practice for one or when you're teaching every day and you kind of start to learn what works and what doesn't so there's lots of ways to say something and there's correct ways to say something which still might not work. And the best way to say something is the way in which your students understand it. It doesn't matter if it's Sanskrit or if it's English or if it's basic anatomy or if it's advanced anatomy, whatever resonates with your student is the best way to say something. You know, it's got to be the students, how can I say, it's got to be the student's best interest at heart at all times. Not what, not how you like to say it, but what's going to get them to move. And I think, the 
the wider or more diverse your repertoire of the way to say things, the better you become as a teacher. And that comes from trying different stuff out. And not really, each class is a, it's a chance to try it out. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta play within the lines to start with, because you know you get to experiment little by little. You certainly don't want to start teaching. I don't think by just like going off the wall and saying crazy stuff and seeing what sticks. You kind of, I think it's it's safe to start with saying stuff that your teacher said before you, and then little by little trying to put something else in. You know, I, I spoke to Kim Boyle in length about how when you start teaching, you want to stay on your mat and demo everything for fear of forgetting or for people not understanding what you're doing. And for me, I can't speak for anyone else, but it was a, a certain lack of confidence in my speaking ability or how sustent I was being to leave my mat. So I needed them to be able to see here what I'm doing. But now it's like, look, I trust what I'm saying enough that I'm confident enough. Because people just don't get it. Even if you say it, left foot, left foot, left foot, someone will always put the right foot forward, you know, and that's okay. But you've got to be confident to be able to go, I can use my words, I can use uh, my actions, and I can use adjusting. That's a whole nother argument now with uh, consent and touching people, but those largely were your three options to do something, you know? But you can also use other people in your class to demo. So I, I enjoyed this prospect of being able to teach a lot using my demoing. And then sometimes sitting like this, sometimes I'll teach classes just by sitting and like saying stuff, which puts yeah. some people off. Like mm -hmm. you can see people going like, oh, what now? Like just, I think part of it is getting people to trust their own bodies. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, you, yeah. Give, you shouldn't be looking at me anyway. Yeah, and that you giving them permission to trust their own selves. I think mm. half half of that is they just need <laughs> permission just to just to be able to write. I'm in a safe space. Everyone, just safe space is important for every aspect of ourselves, right? And you need to improve. Like, get it wrong. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Step but forward, get it wrong, and be like, "Oh, that's why." Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 and also that kind of. Uh, you get quicker at reading the room. You get quicker at responding to certain things that are happening. Okay, that's not. And then you're just changing it rather than reflecting. That's it. And, and I think there's a lot for that, like going, you know, spending a bit of time after class thinking, okay, how, how did that class go? Like, and not in like a highly critical way, but just think, okay, okay, yesterday was really good. Why was yesterday good and today wasn't so good? Or actually, was it good or wasn't it? What, what is the metric I'm using to think whether that class was good or not? Is it whether I felt good or is it whether, the, you know, I was clear enough with my instructions? And it was interesting, you know, I used to have a girlfriend that used to come to a lot of my classes and we used to see the classes very different. I'd be like, ah, it wasn't great for me. She was like, I think you'd be surprised. A lot of people are in their own world, you know? So like, depending on what you're using as your metric, you know? Mm -hmm, yeah. But I certainly feel now that when it flows, I can feel it uh, when I'm riffing, it's cool. But you know, you get different chances to do different things. So. Yeah, it is interesting. How, how have you find that like perception of your own self-awareness and to a point self-critic? Uh, how have you found that? And the confidence kind of, kind of overtakes that almost and you learn to just trust yourself and trust the process a bit more but then that kind of navigating that okay i'm self-aware but then everyone's giving me great feedback everyone's everyone's telling me it's awesome yeah it's tricky right because that's what i used to do i used to rely on someone coming to me after the class going that was great and if no one came i was like well that's a failure that uh, you know i didn't change someone's life today 
So <laughs> that's not good enough, you know? And you forget people have their lives, man. Like they'll come to a yoga class for a yoga class sometimes. And I think what's tricky is if you keep changing, it, like you never find your way. So by all means, you should evolve, but like have some confidence, like you say, to try something out and stick with it and have that confidence there, like, and find your voice and be like, okay, this is how I teach. And at this point, this is what I like teaching. I know I can teach this well. This is what you're going to get when you come to my class. You know, it's, uh, it's maybe not the most spiritual thing to describe it kind of like a brand, but when I pick up this can, and I see that can, I know what it's going to taste like. And I pick it up because that's what I want to taste. And that's what I expect to taste. If I pick that up and that tastes like lemonade, no matter how, how good that lemonade is, I feel disappointed because I didn't get the thing I asked for, you know? And that's why I think when you start as a teacher, you've just got to be very clear about what it is you're offering because you match expectation with the reality. And then I think it's fine. And if people don't like it, they know not to come next time. But if you keep changing your offering, unless that is your offering, that you change it every time, then people are like, oh, I, I came because last week you did loads of handstands and now you're saying that we're just going to do yin. You know? And the same with class descriptions, I think, are important like that. Yeah. So I think it takes a while, though, because like I said, you want to keep changing and, and trying something else out, you know, depending on how it goes. And again, at the beginning, I think it's a good idea to find your voice. But then after a while, I've certainly got to stage now where I have my practice and I've realized that the most popular types of yoga are almost all set sequences. Like you look at Rocket or Bikram or Ashtanga and you would think that in a day and age where information is available, that variety would, would win the game. But in fact, people, people choose the ones that are the same all the time. They, they pick a constant, which is very interesting. You know, they pick a, a method, a system that they can rely on. Maybe that's because there's enough change going on out there that when they come to that thing, they want to know what to expect so they can get better at it. Because mm. that's the other thing. I think students need an opportunity to get better at something. And that takes practice. Mm. It takes showing up, doing it over and over again. And if in that class, they kind of almost nail that side crow. And then next week, you don't do it. They're like, ah, like I almost had that, you know? Yeah. So I think so, that, that's, the so that, me a while. that's the way I started was... Bikram like five years ago and I'd never done any other yoga before it was I was in Melbourne traveling actually I think it was like six seven years ago and I went to this Bikram class and it was so good that I didn't really feel the need to do anything else so I just kept on that path for a, over a year and because it, it was feeding me and giving me so much and I love the reference points you could kind of show moments mm -hmm. of improving and you could you could really feel into that and also the mirror work I mean I don't know if you I work in studios where you have lots of mirrors. But for me, back then, I was benefiting from that because it was just me facing myself and noticing the improvements, noticing where I was out because mm -hmm. I think modern-day humans have a lot of misalignments, right? And looking in the mirror, it was a really good judge because we're out of our bodies and we're not necessarily tuned into what's the almost serving us, you know? Absolutely. I think... Um... That's why, you know, in my stunt work, we sometimes, we have, we have it on this job where we're going to get a load of extras in and have to train them up just to take some basic movements and fighting patterns. And uh, a little bit like when you teach a class, like it's incredible to see how movement patterns, what people think they're doing versus what they're actually doing. 
there could be a real disconnect. And what we find is when dancers come in, they have a great awareness of their body. They might not do it in the style you want to do, but if you say swing this this way and that way, you take a step forward as you do that, no problem. They know where their body weight is. They know where those things are because they have that feedback from the mirror. Dance, they just do constantly in the mirror. So there's there's a smaller gap between what they think and what and how it looks. So those they're really good to teach how to do fighting, for instance, because fighting in movies is far more similar to dancing than it is to fighting in real life because you have beats you have timings you're working with a partner and you're working together as opposed to trying to smash his head off you know although you need it to look like that so when it comes to understanding your body mirrors are great i think you know i started a lot in hot yoga same thing the mirrors are great because i used to love to go to the edge so that i could have one in the front and one to the side so that i could kind of have reference points in both places because sometimes in the pack class you're like oh god i can't even see What's going on? I just had to be careful because I'm naturally quite vain anyway. So I was like, that was <laughs> distracting. Cause I'd be like, God, I'm actually in better shape now. This is, I'm like, no, that's not why we're here. You know, so I had to be careful to like, not let it get to that. Or, you know, or you could at least, I suppose, notice that as a distraction and try to get away from that. Yeah, and just observe that that's what my, you're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what I used to like is I used to love doing eagle arms. Uh, and then you'd kind of just see one eye in the mirror and i was like because then in bickering it'd often be towards the end of the practice and you'd be tired and be like i'd look deep in my eyes and be like you know this is let's go like there was early in my practice where i approached yoga with the same competitive attitude i approached everything else in my life i was like today's gonna be harder and better and stronger than everything else i've ever done you know and look at all these chumps in the class i'm definitely better than her and him all right what about that guy okay he's quite good but i think i could beat him like it was back in those days you <laughs> yeah know? you'll you, you'll think that but those old ladies will kick your ass <laughs> yeah i remember i remember doing this one at the start and they'd be like okay now bend to the side bend to the side back forward hold you i was like there's no way a human could ever hold their arms up that long like you guys are lying there's no way you know i couldn't believe that that if my shoulders were the first i had to always have to shake out for a while they Okay, here we go. God, focus, you know. And it's funny teaching a few of the stunt guys some yoga now, some of the power stuff. They strong lads, you know, CrossFit guys, ex gymnasts. Uh, and it's interesting to see them just say like holding a position. They're like, God, this is hard. You know, yeah, it's just whatever your body's used to, you know. Yeah. Like it's not that it's better or worse. It's just your body gets used to a certain way. Yeah. Um, and then that's what it what it primes itself. It's an incredible vehicle like that. Whatever you give it to do, it's gonna go okay. Mm. We know what to do now. I love the uh, the kind of image of a gym over there, not gymnastics, but the the conventional modern day gym weights, lift weightlifting, and then a yoga studio. And you've got two different kinds of strength. But you look at them and you think, oh, obviously the gym's going to be all about this, this the stronger person. But you go into a yoga class. I know, I know people have been in, in gyms their whole life, and they and it's just a different kind of strength, you know. How how was that? Different. How was and, that for you from coming out of? Because I know you've got a colourful history, um, but I like the way yeah. the conversation's going. So we'll just we'll roll with it. Because um, you've got <laughs> you got a few podcasts out there as well. Like I, I always feel like you only need really one podcast out there of someone going into their background, and like without mm. you going into because if people want to listen, they can go and search your name into Apple Podcasts. You know, yeah. the one that, is it, Kevin. Kevin Doyle, where you've got two with Kevin. I've Kevin Boyle. I've got I've two with him. I mean, 
yeah, he's a good lad. And like, we, we kind of saw things in a very similar way. And uh, mm-hmm. a little bit like this, you started talking to the guy, I'd only ever met him through this medium before I'd ever met him in real life. And uh, I knew from like talking to him, we're kind of, had a very similar approach to stuff. Yeah, uh, sure. So yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. I'm the same as you. Like I'll look, if someone's been around for a while, like I had it with Patrick Beach, I'm like, I don't want to start from the beginning. Again, like let's let's discover something new about this person. So yeah, in terms of like my history, in terms of training, I mean, I was pretty fat as a kid. Um, I was pretty overweight. My brother was a national swimmer. So that was, that was a tough pill to swallow. My brother was like stacked, like mm-hmm. bah, huge chest. In fact, interestingly enough, he had um, a convex. I don't know if it's convex. Yeah, convex. One of these. Chest. <laughs> no, so the opposite to you. You got concave. Yeah. yeah I've been waiting to get that on the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he, ha- he had the inverse of that. So one side is okay, grown much yeah, than no, the I've, other. I've met someone like that before and we kind of hugged and it was like this weird moment where you've gone, ins- <laughs> yeah. you've gone inside me and I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> i'm freaking out i'm gonna stay a little bit longer but it is weird um yeah that's so my brother had that and people used to joke that he had a rudder because he was a very good swimmer so like oh, it's unfair because yeah, you yeah, got this yeah, like yeah. pointy rudder um but yeah I, I was pretty chubby not particularly athletic and where i grew up wasn't there weren't many sports available you know i was, I was in a very small town in botswana mm-hmm. football was very popular but you know i i wasn't I wasn't I wasn't wowing anyone with my proficiency mm-hmm. in my ability to move. Why do, why do you think sure. you struggled with your weight then? Was it not obviously you weren't chasing uh, running away from animals then? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I should have been. I tell you what, in my town I grew up in, uh, twice while we were growing up, there were there was a pride of lions in the town. Mm-hmm. So like walking through the town where they tell everyone to stay indoors. So like we did have that fear of that. I had a spinning cobra in my house when I was about three a few pythons, a kudu, a warthog killed one of my dogs. Like, so it was a pretty wild place, but I never had to run from them. But I was just overweight. I, I just had a lot of puppy fat, you know. Uh, my dad was pretty overweight. Um, but I just, I think it was natural. You know, kids sometimes just are, you know. Weirdly, I, I grew up with a, a kid also from Botswana. We ended up going to the same boarding school. And he was about five years younger than me. And I saw in him the same thing. Like, it looked exactly the same. It's like you have this puppy fat on you. And the rest of you kind of get skinny. And then for a while, you look like a toad, like you have these skinny arms, but like this bit of a paunch and it goes, you know, it just naturally goes away. But it was, it was a source of contention for me for a while. Uh, and I started playing water polo. So I trained water polo and then it kind of, that really slimmed me down. Uh, and then I really got into rugby and gym and in South Africa, that's a bit of a religion. You know, if you want to be popular, you've got to, you got to be in the first team. So I started playing a lot more of that. Uh, and that all kind of got me really muscular. Uh, about a stone heavier than I am now and uh, then I trained to be a stuntman and they took us to gymnastics and I was like I have all the strength to pick a weight up and down but it's of zero use in life Mm. like I was like and I heard someone say this to me about about yoga she was saying it's actually the girl that taught us uh, on our teacher training she was like what's the point in picking up something heavy over your head if you can't reach your arms over your head like that's a natural line for you to be able to do right so what's the point in being able to push it really hard if you can't, that's more natural. That's going to be more useful in your life. So I thought that was really interesting. So yoga for, forever for me has been this way to get the most out of your body, to celebrate it, move in all these different planes of motion as a, like a little diagnostic. And that's kind of how I used it for the longest time. 
And now I've realized that the injuries I've had over my life have not been through lack of strength. They've been from lack of flexibility, almost every one of them. So for me, it was like range of motion is going to be so important. And as I've done more and more yoga now, now I'm seeing the benefits today, for instance, in the gym, I was doing uh, split jerks, which are where you jump, uh, you push up, split your legs, push overhead. And you see people really struggle with this. If they can't have that open shoulder angle, which you need in handstand, for instance, your down dog's got it to a degree, forearm stance. If you don't have that, you just, this movement's gone because then you have to jeopardize the back to get into place. So I found that the shapes in yoga were so interesting. And the guys in my CrossFit gym back in Surbiton, uh, shout out to Motion CrossFit, great bunch of people. And they, they were just amazed how many of the movement patterns in CrossFit were similar to that in yoga. And, I, and you know, we both discussed it, that it, it wasn't coincidental, that the body's ergonomics work in such a way that strong stances are going to look the same regardless of what you do. The yogic tradition was smart enough to recognize what those strong stances look like and what muscles engaged would look like. So interesting to see this development, two things that look like oppositions to your point about a gym and a yoga studio next to each other. Things that look like they're opposition, like the yin and the yang, the further you go, the closer the two get to one another. So it's interesting to see now, and um, certainly the CrossFit world are getting into mobility a lot more because so many of their movements require it. So it's great mm-hmm. to see, you know, and, and I'm certainly not a yoga purist thinking that I don't think yoga is the only thing you should do. I think you should celebrate your body in as many different ways as you can. I just think yoga helps you be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's functional movement, isn't it, in general? I think in the, in the West, for sure, we've kind of separated ourselves from from hanging hanging around uh, street corners, squatting, and you know, mm-hmm. climbing around as kids. We're kind of a bit more conscious from it when we grow up. And I think obviously, descend from breakate and apes, right? That that arm reach, that oh. is a natural movement, and we just don't have that anymore. But um, yeah, the more we learn about, yeah, I, I get super jealous. I was going to say, I get super jealous whenever I go like Thailand or Bali and people squatting. I'm like, God damn, I, yeah. wish, I wish I had that. Yeah, <laughs> it looks so good. I'm like, <laughs> I've been trying to rewild the squat for a good year and a half and I'm, it's millimeters difference. It's, it's such a, such a, it's such a, it's such an important movement. Um, and I know people shout out to Tony Riddle. Do you know, do you know the natural lifestylist on Instagram? No, but I like and that is going on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an amazing Tony guy. Tony Riddle. He's yeah, he's one of my mentors for sure. Um, I mean, I can guarantee everyone listening to this podcast will know who he is if they know me, because I'm always shouting about the guy. Um, but he's got a, he's all, I'd say his his overarching theme is how to live more aligned with nature in the modern day in the modern environment. So you know, he lives in the Hampstead. He lives in Hampstead in London just off the heath mm-hmm. um but he's yeah he's, he's re- rewilding natural movement essentially and he's all that and he's actually it's interesting because the yoga side of it i've been since six six seven years ago i've been interested in yoga i did my teacher training last year started teaching pretty much january time this year um but at the same time i've got wind of like more natural movement styles and i noticed even though i've been learning and um studying yoga for so long my squat is just awful. I can't deep squat and I can't do certain movement patterns, which in a way are the fundamentals to then help you walk, run, jog. Like Tony Riddle mm. talks, if you, if you can't deep squat, then you're going to have compensations when you run and it's going to really yeah, affect. I've seen already my foot, 
my foot turns out already yeah. on one side. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure because of that. You know, I and it's funny, I've been looking at a similar thing with FRC with that functional range uh, conditioning. Uh, and that's a lot what they go after. They go after basic movement patterns to decide whether, you know, a squat is what you want to be attacking if your range of motion, your ankle or your knee isn't there yet. Because like you said, you could do the squat, but it's going to, it's going to look different. It's not going to go in the perfect ergonomical way. You know, I've got a compounded problem that I, I've had my ACL replaced three times and my meniscus taken out. So I have a plate in my knee which doesn't allow me to bend much for, for the past 90. So like in yoga classes, it's interesting. I, I don't often like to tell teachers when I'm in a class that I'm a teacher. I, I hate the expectation of anything, you know, I just want to go and, and just move and be free. And um, then, you know, they'll be say like, now we sit in Charlesburg and I'm like, oh, that's not good. Well, for me. <laughs> don't you know, don't, don't we'll demonstrate like, this as he's a teacher. <laughs> yeah, like, God, no. do, do not look at my one. And then the same with hero pose. I'm like, Hero nothing. There's nothing <laughs> heroic about my hero pose. <laughs> I'm basically a knee stand, you know, and I like lean back. <laughs> yeah. You know, but that's kind of what I like about it. it like, it's what I was saying about yoga it becomes that diagnostic to go, okay, that part doesn't move as much as I'd like it to, but look, this moves just fine. This moves just fine. Because you can get really, you can get really stuck on your injuries and be like, that, oh, I can't do that thing. And you, you forget the 90% of the other range of motions you can do just fine. You know, so you flip the script and you're like, that's a very small percentage of what's going on, you know, and without getting too deep, too quick. And similar go, to what a friend of deep, mine. Doug, go deep quick. My, uh, a friend of mine lost to his mother and I'd lost my dad. Like when, before I got, that was kind of one of the catalysts to get me into stunts. Yeah, he was, he was and, from uh, Sunderland, I think I heard you mention. Which is, that's, cor- that's correct. Very close yeah, by, very close by. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've got a, love, a lot of love for the North and Northern accents because of that, because my, my dad's accent is very close to my heart, you know, and uh, they asked me, they were like, like, how do you even start processing that? You know, and I said, the thing is, similar to the injury thing, you look at the death as the most important part of their life. You're like, that's the wrong, like, look at it as a timeline and look at all the events that happened in your life. His death is the tiny part. Like there's so much more data to pull on, you know, there's all those moments you had together up till that point. So don't let that be the full stop. Don't let that be the, the thing that shades all of your other experience. You had good experiences with this person. The death is the tiny part, you know, it's insignificant in some way in terms of the amount of data it is, but it's very significant in the sense that you don't have that person. And I always found that interesting. That's exactly how I ended up processing that death and, and it served me well with everything else to mm-hmm. kind of get a better reference point on things to see them in the greater scheme of things the big picture as opposed to yeah yeah getting that blink of focus yeah, on one sure. thing Pe- perspective is the is the most important that's actually word the word i was looking for I, I could not think of it oh really <laughs> but yeah. i think i would i would hedge my bets and say that that's made you a better teacher like surrendering to that injury surrendering to that okay i'm not able to do this so therefore, I probably have a lot more compassion for people, for one, that, that, that aren't able to move in, in certain ways, but also just to like, let, let just accept that that's, that's you and that's yeah. what it is. I can still be a teacher. I can still, I can still do all wow. these things. It was, a, it was a, huge, a huge source of contention for me. What you're saying is completely right, but it took me about a year to get that right. Because mm. what I did instead was I was shy away from doing any, any 
stretches that involved the knee because I didn't want to not be able to demo. And I was like, I don't know how to navigate this if I can't show it and can't show it like the perfect way. How the hell am I going to teach it? And then, like you said, it makes you a lot more compassionate for people. You realize people come to your class, the vast majority of them aren't super supple yogis. They come in because they want to learn, you know? And even those that are there, I think it's just important that you know the different options. And like you're saying, it makes you more compassionate. And it's taught me all the different ways to do something. To go, oh, by the way, if you've got a knee issue, I'm in your world. Check this out. Try this. Does this feel better? Because this works for me. It gives me that insight because I'm not sure about your career or rather your path as a yoga teacher or yoga student, but I had a lot of very flexible females teaching who said things like now just push your right leg forward and your left leg back you're in box splits and i was like i i don't think i am <laughs> i don't think i'm anywhere near and, I'm and still in the hands they time. would have a hard time <laughs> they'd be like they'd have a hard time understanding how i couldn't be yeah yeah oh, look, dancers mainly you. dancers i had a teacher in london in um what's it uh, the life center and this one teacher, and I, and I love her to bits. She was an amazing teacher. Um, but she, she, and she, she background was dance. And I was like, oh God, it must be really hard for you to relate to, 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 you know, to people who aren't flexible and weren't, haven't got open hips. <laughs> yeah, because for them, it's easy, right? And, mm -hmm. and you know, that's a, it's a good learning curve to go. And, and I, like, I like that I'm not naturally flexible because I've had to learn the tricks along the way to see what works, you know? I like that I, you know, I don't see myself as particularly gifted in terms of uh, movement. It's been like just a constant, like try stuff, try stuff, try stuff, try stuff. And like you said, an acceptance of where you are. That's a huge one. You know, I've been reading a lot of the Bhagavad Gita talking about how we don't own the fruits of our labor. Do the, do the thing because you enjoy the thing. Don't do it because you want the result because you will then you checkmate yourself into the situation that when you don't get your results as quick as you want, you start to hate the thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. If you like the thing you're doing, the side effect is you get better and that'll come. And then like to say, you get these little yoga gifts in class, you know, like you were saying with Bikram, you show up one day and you're like, ah, I, I can do this now. I couldn't do this. And now I can, but you, I certainly didn't go into a class going today. I'm going to bloody do it. You know, you just do the thing. You keep in mind all the, all the all the different processes on the way okay hold here kick through stand up oh look at that it's there now because like everything else it's fleeting right that moment of success is like oh, i can do it and you're like okay what else could i do almost yeah. immediately i'm like yeah. okay i can hold the handstand what else <laughs> and so if you're always chasing that thing it's you know it it's the goalpost idea of they just yeah. move they you're move like, like i talk a lot about goals and doing things which don't really require me to have a goal just allow me to be and yoga is one of them it's hard because of our competitive nature and when you talked yeah. about well i say competitive nature survival is competitive but also it's drilled yeah. in us that that the love you receive is only oh is only um the love is actually given to you when you compete and win so it's like right i'm trying mm. to validate myself by competing and that's so important to to learn through yoga because i I got into it similar to what you're saying earlier got into it because i wanted a more mindful practice but i still found myself comparing com being competitive like someone's out of breath and i'm not and i'm my ego's going yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> got him 
<clears throat> no. Yeah, it's uh, you see, I I've kind of come full circle with that because I agree. I think yoga is one of the reasons I loved yoga was because it was one of my non-competitive sports. I, I, you know, I was training to be a stuntman. I was doing martial arts. I was swimming at a club. I was doing high diving, platform diving, gymnastics, trampolining. I had this list of things to do, and I had friends that were training at the same time. So I was using them as a reference point of how well I'm doing and how quickly I'm learning these things. And I came to yoga for my days off and I was like, you're doing the exact same thing here. This isn't a day off. You've just changed the venue. Like you need to change perspective when you get in here. But saying that, I think you need the balance of the two. I think as you pointed out, survival is that we have this competitive nature, you know, uh, it may sound funny, but as we were that sperm cell, you're racing for the front we won so that is our that is our dna you know we're born winners and and that's important and i i think finding that balance between the two is important you know Mm. i think confucius and Wu Wei had two different understandings in eastern philosophy i forget the name of of uh the guy that marked Wu Wei. so you had confucius saying that every day you should strive to be better uh, and you had this other guy, which I remember his name a second, who was saying you should just let things be as they are. And I think there's somewhere between the two that you want to find things. And for me, that's what yoga is. And certainly how I like to teach my classes is that you have the poses where you're engaging using reciprocal inhibition, engage the thighs to relax the hamstring. So a lot of the class is that where you're holding isometric tension to try to open up and release. You're trying to find effort, ease. And then towards the end of class, you also accepting relaxing letting things be and i think that's the cycle you want to go through life work you know when you work then relax when you relax you know and when you don't give each opportunity for each one of those then i think life can become a difficult place to be you know and uh, the biblical scriptures seem to echo that with the, the uh, i think it's a psalm with the idea of uh, god guard me the courage to change the things that I can and accept the things I cannot. Somewhere along those lines, mm. the serenity to, to accept things I can't. And I think that's very much what I'm trying to get at with, with yoga, is that in my yoga, I want that to be a place of refuge and calm, but also I want things that get that fire in me because I like that animal feeling. So when you're hitting a bag or you're weightlifting or you're running, like I like to get animal and I like to have the two, you know? Like I said, I'm not a yoga purist. Some people may say that yoga is the only thing you need to do and, you know, it may work for them, but for me, I like to have the two. I don't want to become too lackadaisical, or too too relaxed. You know, in the Jungian sense, I want to integrate my shadow. Mm. I don't want to just get rid of it. I don't want to have. I don't want to not have a dark side. I want to have a dark side, but have it under control, like a Rottweiler that's trained really well. Yeah, I think that's where, and I've, this has come up so much lately, probably just because I'm delving into it. Uh, and one of the massive reasons why I wanted to get you on, because I think you do have that balance. It's all life is about balance, essentially. I mean, we've all got the equal amount of light and an equal amount of darkness within us. But there's a lot of craziness in the world because we haven't got a good relationship with our shadow. So we're seeing that inner, inner shadow just reflect outwards. And I think mm-hmm. talk about it in men's groups a lot. And it's and it's so relevant because if, if people don't realize and just accept that, okay, I've got these dark aspects of myself and I need to just, when they come to the surface, just be more aware of them and a bit, bit more mm-hmm. have a practice that kind of allows them to just be observed and just be there for what they are. 
Um, yeah, but you, you know, I, I go on. Sorry, Chris. Go on. I was just going to say, like, probably a question for you: that masculine and female energy, and not in the sense of mm -hmm. you know, lip gloss and and beards, as in mm -hmm. the the energy sense. I think you have a really good relationship with those two. And do you think do you think that comes from you know gymnastics working for your body, and then the the masculine animal rugby guy? Do you know what I I can tell you? It's an interesting thing. I'm I'm certainly obsessed with it, like this idea of masculine and feminine. Like mm. I have these tattoos on oh, the left yeah. and the right. Everything on the left is for my mom. Everything on the right is for my dad. And everything on the right is symmetrical. Everything on the left is chaotic. Wow. And, and that was born very much out of listening to Jordan Peterson talking yeah, sure. about order and chaos and the Taoist symbols and how even uh, as you get to the bigger side of the, of the black circle, you have a spot of the white. And this idea that you should live your life between the two, which is again, this Taoist understanding of Wu Wei and, and what Confucius was saying. Mm -hmm. But this order and case is masculine and feminine. Again, people often mistake this for male and female. And it's, it's not, it's, it's literally masculine and feminine. You've got mother nature and father time. You know, you've got the structure and you've got chaos. And it's this intertwining that, that real, real amazing things happen. You know, I always remember hearing uh, Aerosmith lead singer, um, Steven Tyler, saying their creative aspect of writing Dream On was they locked themselves in a room and took LSD for, for a couple of hours, you know, or eight hours. And uh, they were pressed on it. He was like, you, you know, you came out with this amazing song, so it must have been worth it, all that chaos. And he was like, yeah, the problem is, we came up with six or seven songs like that, but no one could write it down because everyone was so messed up, you know? And to me, that was a perfect example. So you have this chaos, which is very creative. And that's like a lot of creative types are like out there because they don't follow the rules and, and they, they color outside the lines and it's great, but you know, then they're not great with their taxes or their selling of their art, you know? And I think you, you're trying your best to try find something in between the two. There's that Venn diagram where the two overlap somewhere certainly in my life and i've spoken to this quite often and lent to friends of mine where as growing up i was very much a mom, mom, mama's boy like I, the feminine side in me was in my opinion too high i was super sensitive i was you know i was i was very involved in people and and not so much things and yeah just for one super sensitive a hopeless romantic i don't know if it's because i grew up with certain music you know i was really drawn to acoustic stuff like google dolls and movies that were really popular when i was growing up were a lot of rom-coms like she's all that and and i had this real i think warped sense of the world you know it wasn't a realistic sense of the world it was a very romanticized idea and uh i think to my detriment a lot of my life uh Becoming a stuntman was kind of this movement to the other side. And I think I overcorrected for sure for a long time. I, I became quite callous, uh, certainly in my relationships with, uh, with people, uh, you know, both, both friends and then romantic relationships. You know, I, people found me cold, which I always found interesting because, you know, the critique with girlfriends of past was that I was too soft. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And, and I think that's when it was around, there, around that time I found that Jordan Peterson Mm -hmm. talking about this balance between masculine and feminine i was like yeah this is interesting and then yoga was an interesting thing for me too to be doing and and now i think it's so weird that my life is almost a manifestation of that 
his stuntman side is this like uber masculine, you know, at least on paper. You know, I can tell you, I'm definitely not one of the most masculine out here. Some of the guys I work with are legit the real deal, you know, tough guys. What I've realized now, I'm not a tough guy, but I'm tougher than you think. And I'm not a soft guy, but I'm softer than you think, you know, and, and that, I think this acceptance is an important part. Again, seeing things as they are and accepting them and not necessarily needing to change them, just, just correcting here and then finding balance in your life. Things that are going to nurture your feminine side, things that are going to nurture your masculine side. I think what we've seen in terms of how society treat men now, I think is an interesting thing going on. And, you know, a term I, I don't like hearing that much is toxic masculinity, because often when I hear it used, they don't refer to toxic masculinity. They just refer to masculinity. They refer to things that come to men naturally and they go, that's toxic. And I think in a society where the biggest killer of men, I think over 25 is suicide. Mm-hmm. More than wars thinking, and natural disasters combined. Disasters you know, mental, amazing fact, right? And I think you're living in a society where part of society is saying, look, guys, you're not man enough. And the other part of society is saying, you're too manly. And we squeeze men into this position where it's like, what are they supposed to do? You know, what what are we supposed to do? We're getting told that what comes to us naturally, we shouldn't be doing. And then we're getting told that we should be changing. And, And I think, I don't know that that's, right but i certainly feel like that's not that's not helping you know and certainly i think things like what you do stuff like men's groups letting people talk about it and discuss and be able to nurture both sides i think is important you know we have this aggression side and i think it's no good telling society that men should just forget that they have aggression in them i think it's redirecting that aggression or at least accepting that they have this aggression in and putting into other things i think that's the important thing as i was saying earlier those are energies feminine energy is one thing masculine energy is one thing but it's how you choose to use your energy how you cultivate it not not just try to suppress it again to jordan peterson's point bad things happen in the shadows when you push things into the shadows they don't go away you know like mushrooms they tend to grow and get out of hand Mm -hmm. yeah and just on that point about the uh crazy statistic that there's more people more men die of suicide than natural disasters and and uh and um wars combined it's actually the mind that is the biggest enemy and not yeah, having that relationship that's the battlefront that's the battlefront right there it's yeah. crazy um you're back to the jordan peterson i think and that's that's why i gravitate towards your kind of your content and you just in general because you you you've got to go there to know there and jordan peterson talks about that all right, work all night, just work till you just literally drop and then you'll know your boundary. And I feel like you've gone to that extreme in both ends to find your middle, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been an interesting thing. And, and like I said, it's great to have thinkers like, like him around. Uh, and to, to at least, you know, it's great. That he, and this is what's great about this open format, like these podcasts, is you get to discuss these things where we don't often get to talk for long enough to to think things through uh, and terribly another concern of mine is the cancel culture also doesn't allow you to think things through while talking about them you know in order to come up when you're thinking about hard things like this you have to be feel like you're in a safe place you spoke about this before when we teach a class we give that safe place for people to make mistakes so they can go oh, okay 
maybe that wasn't quite right. Maybe I can do it better. But when we start to make people so fearful of saying something, and that's not to say we don't check people when they say things. It, it's not allowing them to have that form even to speak, to say that whatever you whatever you're saying now is wrong without listening to them. I think it puts people into a position where they can't even make the mistakes. And again, you force them then into the shadows. And in the shadows, bad things happen. You know, light is the best disinfectant. Let people say what they think out loud. Let them let them air their grievances. Let them talk it out so they can they can see where they are without the fear that someone's just going to jump on them and call them something that is horrendous. I truly believe that most people are good natured. Mm-hmm. You know, the they stats are. speak the same. Psychopaths, sociopaths make up a very small amount of people. Most people are trying to navigate the world and, and do good things. Yeah. You know, and I think the more we believe that, the more we treat people like that, the more they'll surprise us and, and they'll follow suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just look at prehistory and where we've come from. And then take a little oh. walk, then take a little walk outside and you think, Jesus Christ, all these people, you know, wearing different clothes, quite different in the way they do things. And everyone's pretty much just going about their day, getting on. I don't see, you know, Bill Hicks has got that amazing thing. He's like, Famine, war, depression. I don't see this. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you're, they'll make you believe that it's, it's the worst time to live ever. And you're like, I said to my friend, we were walking through, yesterday was Sunday, a lot of stores were closed. And we we're walking past a lot of stores with a lot of nice things in them with glass fronts, right? And I was like, I mean, this is mental. Like that's, you, that's probably 10, 20,000 pounds worth of things in there. And all that's stopping us having it is the glass. And no one goes to take it. You know what I mean? Like we have that self-control. I believe in humanity. I believe in society. I think we're, you know, I think we're doing all right, mm-hmm. you know, but I would say that coming back to your point about men and suicide and just generally how people can better control their emotions. I just think for sure yoga is great, but I certainly think meditation is something we want to start putting in more and more into schools earlier i'm watching my nephew and and they do a bit of meditation and i just think like it's taken me 37 years to get to a point where i give myself some space and do some meditation which i think just gives me the introspection to help me navigate life it doesn't doesn't fix things but it helps me at least give me space to think things through before i do things and it gives me that emotional stability it helps me sleep which helps regulate things and these are all things that i've had to learn now you know and I've had to go through some horrible things on the way. But I just think if kids are doing this much earlier, if they have that repertoire already, I just think, you know, we're halfway there society. You know, people aren't making such bad decisions. A lot of bad decisions people make come from a reaction as opposed to a thought, you know. Mm-hmm. And the function of the mind is just to think without necessarily knowing where we're putting those thoughts. And if we can just, you know, just move that a little bit, just, just for a little bit of the day, have a little bit more clarity. I think, I think, or, you know, we won't agree on everything, but at least we'll have a bit more compassion as we have more compassion for ourselves. Yeah. Nice. I think it's going to be the single most important thing as we move forward in the future, just in, in terms of the more we come enmeshed with intertwined with, with technology and it becomes such a, a norm, you know, we won't know it without it. And um, meditation just, I think, have you, have you heard of the book, um, A Beautiful Practice? A whole, life approach to, a whole life approach to health. It's going down. It's 
going oh, down so, on the list. Awesome, mate. Get the audiobook's fantastic because it has a, a guy narrate one chapter, then a, a girl narrate the other chapter. And it just flips between the two quite synonymously and it's beautiful. But it talks about the need for a practice and what a practice can mean and goes into meditation and, and, and lots of stuff. But it it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. But I do think it's, it's just such an important attribute just to distance yourself from, from mm. what we believe or, or we conceive to be the reality of the nature of things. But the nature of things... Well, I- is mm-hmm. is that everything changes and everything moves from one to the other mm. well what i find interesting is with with how technology is going i was listening to akimbo which is a, a great podcast nothing to do with yoga it's actually seth godden who's like a marketing guru who just has interesting thoughts about things and uh, i'll get it wrong i think i'm missing a letter but it's it's tp something seven or maybe tp7 which effectively is a supercomputer that they're building at the moment, which will analyze. I've been on a few podcasts now. I have my own podcast. I've probably uttered enough words for this thing to take all my words, have them stored, and then I can type or you can type and it'll said in my voice. So it can say new words or even words I've said before and utter them. So I can be independent of it and you can make a podcast with my voice by typing that as a script. This thing will also answer back in a format that they think sounds like me so you could ask it a question and it will answer as me because it's learned from how many things i've said point being that between that the face swap thing that's going on at the moment i don't know if you've seen the app my friend loves it he, he you can just put your face on any actor oh like yeah my friend sent me a shakira one <laughs> he was just it's, it's very good it's very good it's, it's joe it's rogan put one out as well i think or Aubrey, Aubrey Marcus. The, Aubrey Marcus, yeah, I can believe that. And yeah. uh, it just made me think that we're getting to a point now where we were the information age for the longest time. Now we're the misinformation age. Like now we can't even believe what we see if it's on screen. I think what's going to happen is we're going to go back to not using technology as much because we want to see things in person. Do you know what I mean? Because we, we know we can't believe what we see on screen. So I don't know if we start to then ignore more and more of it because you're like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> to quote Trump, fake news. You don't, if you can't differentiate between fake and real news, you just don't listen to any of it, hmm. you know? And I wonder if we don't then start to interact more in person because we can't believe things. You know, if you've ever had the displeasure of internet dating, you'll know that photos can be very deceiving too, you know? And <laughs> you're far better off trusting someone you meet in person to get a real indication of what they're like. You know, people, when they write their own profiles, even when their friends write their own profiles, you're not going to get a real sense of them. So I wonder if we start to turn our back a little bit more technology. I don't know. In my mind, I just think we're at this interesting juncture between the two where we're using technology so much, we haven't quite understood what's going on. And in the back of our minds, we're thinking, okay, it's really cool, but, what's at what price at what price are we paying for all of this you know yeah i'm kind of endeavoring to get back into filming podcast i did one i started it just over a month ago but my thing was going to be to shoot like on location just out in nature with me and another person like Mm -hmm. this but we'd be face to face and now i'm like Mm -hmm. seven episodes in and i'm like 
I'm just the Zoom guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but Zoom, Zoom has this ability to, you know, this is one of the wonders of Zoom is that, Absolutely. you know, we're in completely different parts of the world and yeah, we can converse. It, it really opened my eyes up to people I can practice with as well as, you know, I've always been restricted by who's in my town, who's in London, who's, you know, who can be bothered to travel to. Now I'm like, I can do this in my pants and no one cares, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's allowed that kind of thing to happen. But yeah, I, I certainly feel like in person, there's a different feel to it. You know, yeah. I like the podcast in person for sure, but it's allowed me to have guests that I wouldn't normally get. So like, you know, I've contacted people in Bali that I've always wanted to talk to that I haven't been able to. Yeah, nice. Um, but like I say, like in person, there's just this kind of, I don't know, it's, it's something quite nice about it too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? There's an, not an analogy, but the example of exponential growth. And like 50 years ago, that thing that's in your pocket was as powerful. Um, no, sorry, a thousand times less powerful was a building in size, or like a room in size, and it costs uh, a million pounds. So that thing that 50 years ago, a million pounds less money fits into your pocket, mm. was a building in size, and a thousand times more powerful that's exponential growth, but we think of it in like years and times and doubling, uh, etc. And it's like, wow, okay, fifty years, right? What's that's going? crazy. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I I always think that like, what is ahead of us, man? I, and I always think if this is the technology we have, what are the government rocking? Mm. Yeah, what have what have they got? So that this, we don't know. This, there was a Netflix documentary. I just I looked. I kind of didn't have the intention of seeing the whole thing, but I ended up watching it all about surveillance. It's connected on Netflix and it starts off. I'll, I'll say very, very brief. Cause I know I'm wary of time. Um, but yeah, it starts off with um, these, these little birds in one part of America where they have lots of hurricanes. Um, so these birds fly South. So they fly all the way to Brazil every year um, to avoid the, the, the winter. So they fly south for the winter and then they come back. Well, what they started monitoring each of the birds and then they noticed that how long they were away for or when they left, say they left in June or sometimes they left in July, would be in accordance to how ferocious the, the winter was going to be. So it went from that kind of surveillance, using surveillance in a real beautiful way so we can actually use these birds to predict um, hurricanes and how how crazy it's going to be because these are better than our weather systems which is nuts to think about but that's what happens mm-hmm. and then it went into face recognition of pigs so animals looking at animals how we can look at a face recognition in pig farms to then look at the welfare of the pigs and you could really look into the happiness of the pigs so that's a really cool way we can use technology to look into how um how well, how good our meat is etc and then that went into humans and humans face recognition. And there was like museums about face recognitions and all of our selfies, which are up into the ether, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but then companies using face recognition to know whether they're, you know, thousands of staff are happy and if they're not putting in the work and just, just sends your mind like <laughs> wild, like, and that surveillance it's... technology was from the army, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. That's what I mean. I wonder if at some point we just don't turn our back on it, you know, and because mm, well, there's that privacy, it's not a stretch privacy paradox where yeah. people know what's going on, but they still are okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of accept it for the convenience. 
of, of what's going on. Yeah, right? I'll, I'll give all the data away as long as I can get a date. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. I have it all. I'll tell you last time I cried. Like, <laughs> I don't care. Just, but I just wonder, it's not much of a stretch then to go, okay, that surveillance can tell you by a person's demeanor, uh, where they're happy. You can tell what days they are happiest. You can decide what days they're most upset. You can decide what jogs their memory, so on and so forth, right? What happens on voting days when it can analyze your face, send you just the right news clips to push you in a certain direction? Mm. So they already know that when we vote, it's emotive. If we, don't, we don't really think about what's best. It's quite an emotional reaction. And it may depend on the day we have. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not a stretch for them to go, okay, well, if we want these guys to stay in, then all we do is this. On the flip side, I've heard, uh, who is it? Javal Harari mm-hmm. say that the real answer then is to fight fire with fire and let, let AI vote for you. So all the data that's been stored on here, all my purchasing, all my text messages, all my movement, how often I travel, it's going to be able to collate information about me and what's good for me. It's going to be able to then check a politician or a political party's agenda and go, by the way, you may want to vote Democrat, Republican, Labour or Conservative. However, if you want to live the way you're living, but live better, then you should actually vote for these guys because it knows you better than you know yourself. Like I was saying about the, yeah. the bio that people write for themselves. We don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. John Peterson says it perfectly. You know, if you want to know what someone thinks, watch what they do. Don't ask them what they think. Because we'll say all sorts of things about what we think, but when you watch someone's actions, you'll really know what they believe. You know, mm. I can say that I believe that you should do yoga and meditation every day, and then I do it once a week. And you're like, well, you don't think that. You know, you, you think you should say that, but you don't necessarily think that, mm-hmm. which is fine, but it's an interesting point and a good differential to have is that people's actions will give you a far better indication of what they believe and what their values are than what they say, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking about the, the time when someone else can really write your bio better than you can. <laughs> yeah, there is. Because you're taking all yeah, the thinking they, away, you know? I don't know. Right. Anyway, we can wrap it up there, bro. Respect your time. Respect Chris, your thank resource. Thank you so much, man. Um, it's it's really cool to chat to you. Uh, yeah. And this has been great. It's nice to be on the receiving end of the of these sometimes, you know? Yeah, and uh, let people know why that is. Well, that's... Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> nice set up there, Chris. <laughs> that's because I have a podcast called Getting Down with Doug. Uh, it's sometimes yogis, but it's often my other stunt friends or people involved in film. I'm trying to get my friend who's on this with me, who is actually, he's a stunt guy. If you follow Game of Thrones, he was the Night King. Originally, he was an actor. Uh, and then they didn't like the actor. So my stunt friend became the Night King. And that was his job for a couple of years, which is an incredible, like we love to see the stunt guy become the actor, you know, and sit in the high chair and get all the all the fanfare. He recently just came back from doing a, uh, a signing with Pamela Anderson, which I was like, this is, this is he's gone and done it one of us has gone out and he's done it so if you fancy listening to a wide array of guests uh with no real theme then 
feel free to check into getting down with Doug. Yeah, I, lo- uh, I loved and- I loved looking through them because I was like, I know none of these people. This is <laughs> great. This is great. <laughs> yeah um so yeah the downward doug on instagram best place to reach you probably yeah always the downward doug instagram uh the website's the same the downwarddoug.com uh you can check out retreats uh and then at the moment for the next week i'm doing a few more live classes and then when we start filming this new job i'll probably do the weekend classes still so just check in there you'll be able to see week by week actually mondays i put out uh what classes on that week so check in there okay awesome man thanks for making this happen Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks very much, Chris. Doug Robson, the downward Doug, what a chap. Yeah, uh, that was an amazing conversation. As I said at the start, one of my favourites. Thanks for listening, as ever. Really appreciate it. And share with one person. I would love you to do that. Uh, If you engaged with it, perhaps you've got a yoga teacher that you know that, you know, might enjoy it. Who knows? And I was going to play you out with that Bill Hicks. I don't know why, but that Bill Hicks scene where he talks about um, war, famine, depression, AIDS. It's an amazing... He's a comedian, he's an American comedian. Very, very famous one if you haven't heard of him. Um, yeah, go check out that scene. It's, it's, it's actually really good. I will be putting all the resources to the things we discussed plus some quotes up in the notes underneath and as always thanks for listening